This is the Wandering Berry Center podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Over there is Alex. Hey, everyone. And yeah, we're coming at you this week, uh, March something, 27th, I think. 27th, that's right. Yeah. It's a beautiful spring day out here. Got some snow Not so last beautiful night. beautiful here. What's it doing? Uh, it was raining all day, actually. Yeah. Well, that's spring. But not too, yeah, not too cold, so. Granted, there's nothing wrong with rain. No. I don't think. There's plenty Rain's of great, beautiful. there's plenty of great things about rain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man. You can have too much, though. Uh, yeah. Kind of, kind of weird, right, that, like, California for all those years was under drought and we need water and all that. And then the fires happened. Whoa, whoa, slow down. Right. Well, the fires (laughs) fires burned down all the trees, and then the rains finally came and just mudslides all over the place. Yeah. Can't catch up. Apparently, when it rains there, too, it's like a pretty quick shift from desert to everything's green now. Hmm. Like, it happens pretty quickly. Maybe that's just Southern California. I'm not too sure, but that's what I've heard. I haven't seen it with my own eyes, though. This isn't my joke. I think it's actually a King of the Hill thing, but like humans living in the desert is just like Mm -hmm. the middle finger to, I guess, God is the joke in the show. But like, you know, humans have just their arrogance. It's a symbol of the arrogance. It's just like, we're going to live here in this desert and we're going to cool down the (laughs) desert. That's right. It's not optimal at all. No, we're going to make it happen. We're going to do it anyway. Yep. Uh, I don't really have any rambling that I want to do, so. Well, now's your time. This is rambling space. <laughs> yeah, we didn't um, really, we never really set like a defined start of the show type thing. No, nah, it's free flowing. Pretty sure our listeners are happy with it. They told me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, actually, before we get going here, something worth telling everyone is that we're officially on iTunes now. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Um, so search for Wandering Berry Center. Uh, in iTunes, and you'll see us pop up. Uh, if you Google Wandering Berry Center, both with and without the space between Wandering and, and Berry Center, um, we now come up, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. And the website. Yeah, I still, I still encourage people to go to the website just because... We put a lot of work into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's totally for me. There's no benefit to you, but... <laughs> hey, it's a dope website. Yeah, I don't know. It's fun. And you get to see the little pictures that we're making for all the episodes and get the full descriptions and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's, whatever. If you... That does. I want to. Actually, now that I'm thinking about my podcast feed with iTunes, nobody ever changes their their, their no, artwork. It's, it's just the. Which, from a recognizable standpoint, you want to do. But if right. you're. We're making little artwork for each episode there, which is fun hey, to do. So This is a brand, so. That's right. Trademark coming at you. Yeah. <laughs> well, what is that? A little C with a circle around it. Copyright. That's copyright, yeah. Yeah. I think that's... I'm not really sure how the two work. Like, we would trademark our stuff, but... You know... Do we copyright it something... as well? I don't know. I don't... I'm not sure. I'm not going to speculate either, because I'll just get it wrong. Yep. I'm not a lawyer. Nope. Thank God for that. All right, so the topic I'm going to bring up today, um, I had intentions of it going in a direction, but then I decided that they actually need to be split into two 
topics. So today we're going to talk about more general corn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think I have no idea which well, episode. Well, hang on. Full Be- disclosure. Should you, expo- yeah, yeah, yeah. should you expose your bias <laughs> initially or should we just wait? <laughs> Let it come naturally. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk it through naturally. All right, all right. Um, because I've learned some things, right? That's what this is about. So. Oh, that's hopefully. good. Okay. So yeah. would you... <laughs> wait, wait, I got to look it up. Or would you say that you are not suffering from the... Oh, shit. The anchoring effect. You oh. you potentially have been provided new information and maybe it changed your view. I would say that I have escaped it this time. Okay. That's good to hear. Good, good. Progress. Human progress. Now, I would like to say that it's because of us talking about it last time, but in reality, that's probably not true. Yeah, well, we'll take the W's where we can get them. That's exactly right. Yeah, so, corn. And what I really wanted to get into, and we could talk a little bit about it, but I really think it deserves its own day, is ethanol. Because in how that has shaped certain things in this country and elsewhere. But I do think that deserves its own day. So today, we're just going to talk about corn, and we can kind of allude to some of that stuff. Um, Because corn itself, I mean, it's the biggest um, agricultural, you know, thing that we do in this country. And we're the biggest producer of it worldwide by quite a large margin. If people have Um, never gone to Google Earth and just sort of loosely zoomed in at the middle of the country... Yeah. <laughs> it's daunting how much corn yeah, so how much corn is being grown. It's crazy. It's it's crazy and we're going to get into that a little bit cuz it's it's fun to think about and scary, I guess, in some ways. Um all right, so first of all, it's also called maize, which I don't know where those two names come from. Um, um, I think it was first like cultivated by, um, or domesticated, I should say, in Mexico. I believe that's correct. And maize is the older of the and two that, names by a lot. Sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Corn came along later. Um, yeah, so somewhere around 10,000 years ago is when it was first starting to be domesticated. And I don't really know. Maybe you do. Like, you think about, when you hear the word domesticated, you think about like a dog or a cat becoming what yeah. it is today from a wolf or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. What's it mean to domesticate a plant? I think the term domestication in general means to exert control over in a cert- with a certain context. So, like, uh, we've domesticated the corn plant to the point where we... Okay. I'm sure you're going to talk about Liberty Corn at some point. Um, I mean, yeah, you can... For sure, corn today is not... You know, we've modified it in right. a number of ways, but... To say that they domesticated it 10,000 years ago, you can't say, you know, Mexico wasn't growing GMO corn 10,000 years ago, but no. they were domesticating it. So I think maybe that, you're right. It is just a control aspect. I th- I, that's, a, that's, my, that's my guess, at least. Without, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. All right. So. Um, <laughs> wait, wait. Sorry. Because yeah, yeah. They, they sometimes there's an argument to be said that cats are not actually domesticated. They're more just it's a symbiotic relationship because we don't really yeah, I, control yeah. cats. We don't control them. They don't really need us. They just No, they do not. They just take advantage of us. Right. 
And we bring them into our homes for some reason. Right. <laughs> Where dogs, not all dogs, of course, but there are certainly a fair number of domesticated breeds that the day humans blink out of existence, they're fucked. <laughs> really? <laughs> what? <laughs> there was actually a study once where they um, they took a wolf and a dog. I don't remember the breed of the dog, but they had like um, some food inside of some sort of caged off area. And they let the wolf, you know, know that somehow the wolf knew there was food in there, whether smell or maybe they gave him a sample, whatever. The wolf just indefinitely tried to break into this enclosure to get the food and never looked to gain human assistance, whereas the dog tried and then quickly gave up and turned to the humans for help, which I thought was really interesting. Do you... We're quickly digressing from corn, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Do you know the theory about why dogs were... Wolves became domesticated. It's, it's exactly. No, what, I don't know it's much exactly. About it. It's exactly what you just laid out. The theory, at least uh, my understanding is, uh-huh. uh, is that basically one night, a bunch of guys were sitting around the campfire with a fresh kill, doing their thing, and mm-hmm. a wolf who had been circling and watching and interested but cautious, eventually approached the group in a non-aggressive manner. Mm-hmm. They gave the dog, the wolf, food, and thus the relationship was born. So uh, a, a hungry wolf I mean, came to a human for food in a, in a certain right, sense. Right, right. But not like it was one isolated incident that sparked the whole... I mean, there had to be a first, but yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. All right, so corn. It's also called, or no, it's not called, it's classified as a cereal grain, which I'd never really heard of before. No. Um, But I guess cereal grains are like grains that are cultivated for their edible portion. Um, So there are other examples of cereal grains like um, rice and wheat and barley and oats and stuff like that. Okay. But that kind of made me wonder why... um, why does breakfast cereal get to be called cereal over everything else that's listed in that cereal grain category? Why don't we call it like our morning barley? Or just candy. Um, yeah, I didn't get an answer to that, but <laughs> interesting to think about. Okay, so before we go further, um, I guess the Native Americans showed Christopher Columbus how to grow corn. And he brought it back to Europe. So, I'm always wondering why this guy gets a holiday, if you look at all the facts. Yeah, I was just going to say, that was pretty cool of the Native Americans to do that. Right? Considering. So, what I want to do, though, is let's think about this as we talk about corn, and we can continue our assessment the next time we talk about ethanol. Maybe we can do that the next show. But I can't, because then you would know about it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I want to know, let's decide if Christopher Columbus, um, bringing corn back to Europe was a positive or negative contribution Mm. to his overall, the reason he has a holiday for some reason. So as we think about corn and what it means, I'm wondering if that was a good thing. (laughs) So just keep it in mind as we go. Yeah, that statement sounded very like, uh, 
religious, like as if corn. <laughs> as if. What do you mean? Well, just the way you worded that, as if corn were some form of of God. As we <laughs> as we contemplate our great corn. Let us think back on the actions of how, Christopher Columbus. How corn has enlightened our lives. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, like I already said, corn most important crop in the U.S. for way more reasons than food, which we'll get into. Um, and it's a, but it is a staple food around the world. So it's not just us eating it, but um, we do produce it far more uh, in far more quantities than other places. Um, so the the plant itself. Um, none of this is going to be all that surprising, probably, but I think like the common. Uh, corn plants that you're seeing in uh, Iowa are going to be like 10 feet tall. But I guess uh, naturally they can be like 40 feet tall. What? Or maybe that's not that's not common, but that's possible for Whoa. them to be 40 feet tall. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. That's cool. I wonder like the size of the ear of corn that comes off that. Is it like the size of Shaq's shoe or something? <laughs> Just like this big... <laughs> it's either you either get giant corn or you get a ton of corn of, nor, of normal sign of normal yeah. i like giant corn though better <laughs> like you walk under a 40 foot corn plant and it falls and hits you on the head and, and you're, you're probably done out. yeah <laughs> um yeah so the ears of corn are actually the fruit of the plant um and the part you're eating if you're eating corn on the cob or you know, whatever type of corn you're eating. That's actually the seed. The kernels are the seeds, and the ear itself is the fruit. Um, and this is all coming from the female plant. I don't think the male plant has any, you know... Uh, use. Use in terms of edible portions. Wait, the ear of the corn is the fruit? What yeah. What is the ear of the corn, then? What am I not getting here? You call the ears, I think that's just like a colloquial term, because when you look at a plant, they kind of like stick off the side or whatever, they're just Oh, so the whole, the whole thing is considered fruit? Yeah, like the... With the, you know, with how, the like, husk a, and everything, um, yeah. Yeah, all of that is the fruit, uh-huh. um, and then... The seeds, yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah. the seeds are the actual yellow part or whatever color huh. on the particular ear of corn that you're eating from. Um. Yeah, I mean that. I mean that makes sense, right? Other fruits have seeds on the outside, like that. The uh, strawberries have them on the outside. What else? Is that it? Strawberries, or did you say those? That's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was, <laughs> I was thinking already and wasn't. Yeah, uh, I can't think of any seeds on the outside. Am I being stupid here? I mean, probably, but me too. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Raspberries, maybe. Ooh, good catch. Yeah. No, wait, not raspberries. Not really, though, right? No. They got seeds, though. And I don't care what anybody says. Raspberry jam with the seeds in it, I'm not down. Really? For some not reason... Not I expected. Not, I, <laughs> that's a pretty aggressive <laughs> stance to take on something that is... I am not down. <laughs> Do not give that to me as a gift. And I can I actually say that it. I can't even recall the last time I had that. I just remember as a kid, I just did not enjoy seeds in my jam. I like to retry things just to make sure I still hate them. 
Okay, so um, <laughs> so yellow and white kernels, the part that you're eating, are the most common, which makes sense if you're going to eat some corn that's usually going to be yellow or closer to white. But I think what you were alluding to before is the fact that there's plenty of other colors. They can be red, blue, pink, black. They can have, like, spots and bands and stripes. and Yeah. Freaking, I didn't know, you know blue. The Ameri- that's The American cool. flag, apparently, yeah. I'm sure it's like a, a dark. Yeah, it's blue, not. It's not blue. Black. Yeah, it's not like. It's, uh, it's not uh, like a baby blue. Yeah, that would just look gross, actually. Oh, that's probably where blue corn tortilla chips come from, huh? <laughs> or they just dye that shit. We are just making all sorts of connections today. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I think you got to be a little. Uh, you got to be open to tangents when you're talking about corn. <laughs> if you want it to be interesting. Because, <laughs> again, I thought this was going to be all about a quick intro lead to ethanol, but I think it needed to be broken up. So yeah. we'll see if that was the right decision. All right. So corn itself is classified into six categories. Um, and I guess it's all based on kernel texture. That's how it's defined. Um, so dent corn dent as in like I've dented a piece of metal um so each kernel has like a little dent in it and that's where it gets its name so pretty creative um this is what's most commonly grown so I'm not sure I think so this and then uh the second one I have listed is sweet corn so that's the other most common type Mm -hmm. you know how when you're buying like a can of corn you can get sweet corn or you can get corn just regular yeah just corn I think that's you're buying sweet corn versus dent corn. Hmm. Um, okay. But dent corn is also used to do, you know, all the other shit we're using corn for, like um, making everything from plastic to high fructose corn syrup. And we can dive in a little bit later into some of the other uses of corn. But yeah, dent corn is where most of all that is coming from. And then sweet corn is up next people are eating that mostly and the reason it's sweeter is because um it has a higher sugar content in the end when it when it gets to you it's not only um harvested sooner i believe but even still the starches in it don't convert um or the sugars don't convert to starch sorry like they do in the other types so it just retains more of those like natural plant sugars Hmm. um and that's enhanced by picking it sooner. So, you know, you're actively after that sweet taste. Uh, flint corn is a weird one. Each kernel has its own little outer layer. I'm not sure this one's all that common. Um, I don't even know what that po- looks like. Yeah, I'm not sure. Pod corn, P-O-D, is some sort of mutant corn <laughs> with leaves around each kernel. Uh, apparently, this doesn't really occur in the wild, but it gets its own classification. Um, then popcorn is its own thing, um, which I never knew this. I guess what happens is um, it's just a more condensed kernel, and it's got moisture inside that when you heat it, it just builds up pressure. It keeps building and building and building until it explodes. So there's fields of corn that are destined specifically to become popcorn? Yeah, it's a it's a strain that's being grown. One of the six types. No kidding. Yeah, 
I always thought they just like somehow dried kernels or something. I don't know, but you do look at it and it looks completely different, right? Uh, it does actually. I have some. Uh, there's this thing going around the female gender lately of uh, they just love popcorn. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. I don't understand that. Dude, so within our, my significant other, yours, uh, and then our friends, every single one of them, hands down, you give them a bowl of popcorn, and uh, it's their favorite thing. And at the same time, you and I, like, I'll I'll take a couple handfuls, sure, and sure. I'll enjoy it mildly, but it's never something I, like, actively seek out. Or I would never do. go out of my way at all. Never. To go get popcorn. Uh, so uh, mine has the, like, we buy we buy the actual corn kernels and we have a popper mm-hmm. and everything. That's cool. At least, I mean, that's at least more involved than just popping one of those chemical bags in the microwave and letting it pop. Yeah, apparently uh, the lining that they use on those bags is not very good. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I don't. I wonder how true that is these days. Yeah, I'm just regurgitating no idea. internet information. But actually, yeah. I'm I'm thinking about the kernels that she uses to make the popcorn, and they definitely are they're smaller, and they're yeah. they're very round. Right. Yeah. So that's not like what I would imagine if you just dehydrated a, you know, can of sweet corn. I don't think it would quite look like that. Maybe, but I don't think so. I think you know, it gets its own classification, so it's different enough. Real fast, I think the popcorn yep. thing, it's because it's crunchy, and it can mm-hmm. be salty, mm-hmm. and it's low calorie. Right. It's just ticking all those boxes. Yeah. And if you want to ruin the low calorie, well, not ruin the low calorie part, but if you want to really bump it up, you just drizzle some butter on that shit. That's right. And who doesn't love melted butter? I mean, come on. You lie on yourself if you say you don't. Yep. Get some of that. Uh, I've been buying Kerrygold Irish butter. Oh, dude, oh. I'm all about it. That's the only butter I have. Oh, it's the best. It's so good. <laughs> you can get it at Aldi for super cheap. What, my I dude? I pay like yeah. four or five dollars a thing. Oh, I I think it's two fifty for. <sighs> get out of here. Something like that. I'll check. I'll verify next time. But it's it's significantly less than their other stores. All right, so. Popcorn was number five. Number six, the last one, is flour corn. And you guessed it, it's used to make corn flour. That's it. Shocking. Shocking. Um, Hang in with me, folks. This is getting... No, 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 no. (laughs) I didn't didn't mean it like that. Um, It is like that. Is that what they make corn tortillas out of? Um, Corn flour? I think so. All right. Yeah, I hope a I corn. I right. hope a corn expert listens to this in like ten years, and it's just like, what the fuck? Well, there's an entire like corn coalition for the whole Midwest. Oh, I, you know, yeah, all these I farmers don't... and stuff banding together. I don't I... know if it's a union or what it is, really, but <laughs> coalition. <laughs> they'll be they'll be after us soon. Oh man, the the term coalition. <laughs> Am I using that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, especially if they have a political agenda. Oh, which you they, bet. Which they would. Totally. If you're the biggest crop in the yeah, you gotta country protect and those, world. Yeah, you got to protect those subsidies, all the kinds of stuff. Corn Coalition, CC. 
Um, all right, so a little bit on um, the nutrition of corn. So it's apparently not as bad as I was led to believe. I don't know. What's your What's your understanding? Well, I think you and I developed, so we were in the same location and younger uh, when the corn stuff was really big in terms of like the Netflix documentaries and, and all that. Mm-hmm. So I think you and I have basically the same understanding it's I, I guess I couldn't quote specifics of what's wrong with corn, but ultimately what I think the issue is is that it's just in fucking everything. Yeah, that's the issue. It's not that corn itself is bad. Mo- like almost everything in life, moderation. A, a little bit of corn, <laughs> including moderation. Yeah, including yeah, exactly. Sometimes said, you got to go crazy. That was Oscar Wilde, I think, said that. But um, yeah. So a, a corn, you know corn on the cob during fall and summer nights and whatever like yeah it's fine it's when it's yeah. it's it's the the fructose corn syrup it's well for oh for sure that you obviously know, is if you're drinking that, it's when you're you're substituting something of better value right. for corn right. which is happening a lot right yeah so i could again i couldn't quote specifics it's probably yeah. well the starches are probably not good depending on what kind of diet you need but yeah, yeah. If you're going for a low carb diet, then you know eating a bunch of corn is not going to help. It's starchy and carby, and if you have the sweet corn, it's even higher. Yep. Um, but yeah, I guess just like if you compare it to other vegetables, it's not as nutritionally dense. Okay. Um, that being said, though, it's still got you know healthy amounts of vitamin C and magnesium and vitamin B and and all that in it. So there's it's not that the nutritional profile is bad. It's just maybe not as dense as other uh, vegetables. But that being said, it's, you know, having some corn is by no means a bad thing. Right. Um, now, I didn't go too far into this because this is a can of worms that I'm not ready for yet. But the GMO aspect of it mm-hmm. um, being the most popular crop in the country and world um you know, there's a significant amount of genetic modification happening, um, and the effects of that are debatable. And I think we'll just have to leave it at that for now, but that's definitely something to be considered. Real fast on that, the whole, yeah. not that I'm not qualified to speak on this even a little bit, but that whole practice of... Well, I'm not part of the Corn Coalition here, I am, so. <laughs> But that whole practice of, like, making your seeds not fertile... So, like, if you buy certain seeds from certain companies that start with M, um, the seeds that you buy, you can't, like, the plants that they produce can't reproduce. So, you have to buy your seeds every year. Okay. I just always thought that was really dick. Hmm. Basically, basically somebody, a marketing guy, was like, well, if we don't make the plants fertile, then they'll have to buy seeds every year and make us more. Is that Monsanto? Yeah. Is that the name? Yeah. I'm, they're not the only um, ones that do it, but well, sure. I just, I always thought that I just, I was imagining as you were talking, I was just imagining a boardroom meeting where the marketing guys were like, "Yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna let these plants reproduce because we need more money." Yeah, that's a that's a part of the whole agricultural industry that you don't usually think about is like the big business part of it. Yeah. The people in the suits controlling things. They all do. Um, but some other GMO aspects are 
uh, for corn specifically, and I'm sure this applies across different crops, but um, drought resistance and pest resistance are huge, huge, uh, you know, motivations for modifying these, these crops. So there's that. There's Um, something I forgot. Oh, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was just going to, I have a, the only thing I know really know about corn is something called Liberty corn that I learned from. Yeah. What is that? You you mentioned that Netflix documentary. Well, I don't want to blow up if we were going to talk about, uh, well, so I guess it's probably dent corn. Uh, but basically there's this statistically. Yeah. Yeah. There's this type of corn (laughs) that's called Liberty corn. That's the brand name. It's the, the, that's the brand name of the corn. This corn is specifically designed to be used uh, along with this pesticide. So the corn mm-hmm. itself has been gen- genetically modified to resist this specific pesticide. This pesticide kills everything. Bugs, mm-hmm. plants, animals, anything, mammals, anything that gets touches this pesticide dies except for this corn. So this Liberty corn from the Netflix documentary, which is year five years old, at least at this point, um, is what most farmers are growing. And it is specifically destined to become high fructose corn syrup. Hmm, okay. And it's just really unsettling because the guy shows you like what in the documentary, you see what this pesticide does. To yeah. Everything except this corn and your next logical thought has to be, well, what the fuck is going on with that corn? Like, what did yeah. they, what did they do to it? What's it, what's it doing to me when it's, you know, inside yeah. my body? Could be innocuous. Could, it could be some genetic modification that doesn't have any actual negative effects. Yeah, but I is suppose. there any, is there any proof? Well, and then the next you question know, confirming is. Confirming or denying that? Well, the, I don't know. And then the next yeah. question, uh, the, probably the bigger question is, okay, the corn itself, fine. But what what is that? Does that pesticide any bits of that pesticide make it into anything? Like, oh yeah, yeah. is it leaching anywhere else? Yeah, but the corn the uh, the point is or not the point, but and one of the other things the corn's inedible. You can't you couldn't. It's all starch. The 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 Liberty corn they've bred and genetically modified it. Whatever, I don't know mm-hmm. exactly. To the point where the kernels are entirely like just starch they don't have any anything but starch in them yeah it's almost like a solid block of just simple starches because that's what you need to make hfc so not that you're buying liberty corn in the can at the store but no no it's the nutritional profile of a you know let's say an ideal ear of corn that was grown wildly with optimal nutrition whatever um is potentially different than the run-of-the-mill can you're going to pop off the shelf. Yep. So that's where some of the, you know, the hate might be coming from with corn. But yeah, that's all. That's the that's the one piece of corn knowledge that I have is that yeah. Liberty corn is crazy. <laughs> I've never heard that. Yeah. Um, so one thing I forgot to mention on the, the plant um, is that one reason, not the reason why we grow so much, but something that certainly helps is that it's easy to grow in a lot of different areas. Like mm-hmm. it's being, despite the, um, you know, the joint giant corn population in the Midwest, um, it's being grown from Texas to Alaska. So like those are two different climates. Whoa. Yeah. 
and I mean different types, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah. It's versatile, so you can not only what you can do with it, but where you can grow it. Um. All right. So moving on a little bit to just the agricultural part of it. Um. So when I say the word agriculture, what do you think about like? Mainly, what's the purpose of agriculture? Oh, in your I mind? was going to say Age of Empires video games. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I need to build up my what city. What would be your second thought? <laughs> what's its... <laughs> <laughs> the, the question's, what's its purpose? What's agriculture's purpose? Yeah, like, when you're thinking... When you when I say agriculture, what's what does that mean to you? Like, to me, it means, it means farming my food so I don't have... Uh, it means domesticating my food and, and farming my food in a central location so I don't have to go hunting for it or foraging okay. for it every day. So you would say that the purpose of it is to feed you. Yeah, and, and, right. and ultimately save me energy because I don't have to go walking around the forest. Right. Okay. Yeah, actually, that's a good... That's good. Um, so one of the problems with corn in this country and it might not be exclusive to the u.s because um next up is brazil as far as producing countries go um but it's i mean it this is taking up a huge portion of our usable land for agriculture and natural resources and all this stuff but the percentage of it that's actually being used to feed people is minuscule compared to the amount we're producing. Um, so that plot of land we've been talking about in the Midwest is called the Corn Belt. <laughs> and <laughs> it's roughly the size of California. It's 80 million acres that is strictly dedicated to growing corn. And the percentage of the corn of that corn that I'm going to eat is like, what, less than a 1%? Yeah, what's he, what's he, um. Let's go. Two, let's that, go. With, let's go. With, well, it's not that easy to to calculate. So, um, right, because some of it's some of it. I might eat the corn itself. I might consume high fructose corn syrup. Exactly. I might drink and gasoline. You, I might. <laughs> well, you might eat the animals that oh, corn was used to feed. There we go. That's another one. That's a big one. That's a big one, actually. Yeah. So calculating, it's not super trivial, but um, so. Looked up a couple sources. Um, anywhere from twenty-seven to forty percent is going to ethanol production. Um, so so this drink is, up. Yeah. So I was actually. This is interesting. I want to see how this relates to what you were talking about with the Liberty Corn, because you said so much of it was going towards HFC production. That's that's um, all the liver. That's that's literally all the Liberty Corn is even good for. But, but did they give you a percentage of total corn production that is Liberty corn? Uh, in that documentary? No, that not, that, not that I can recall, no. Okay. I, I just remember them, like, you had entire farmers who literally, not only did they only grow corn, but they only grew Liberty corn. Right, right. So. Um, which, might, which might not be rare. I, I don't know. I mean, I would imagine that if you're a large-scale farmer it's just easier to consistently do one thing yeah do one thing you're getting your supply from one spot you're perfecting your technique you're consistent year after year as far you know you would imagine you're dealing with natural conditions to a degree so right. the the amount that you can hold constant you know the more the better um 
Okay, yeah, so 27 to 40% to ethanol. Around 35% is animal feed, um, which is, you know, what we were just saying. Part of that is feeding the animals, obviously, and then going to feed us. So that's factoring into the amount that's going to feed people, but it's really not the most efficient way to feed animals and then feed people. It's just not. Most animals don't eat corn naturally. It's just... I don't know. I'm not sure why this is, and I would like to know more, but somehow we're just making a fuck ton of corn. Um, uh, so, I recall... Wasn't corn one of the... F- I, you probably don't have this written down, but in my head, uh, corn was one of the most subsidized things yes ever that is true it is yes and then like that these, accurate. i don't had, have any numbers but <clears> we had so much of bit. it we have so much of it that they put it in cat litter yeah like your cat litter is made of corn or can be <laughs> yeah cat food that's for sure yeah don't buy it. your your, your run-of-the-mill kibbles and bits yeah don't buy that stuff <laughs> they don't sponsor us so don't buy them <laughs> um Nobody's so 10% <laughs> is distiller's grain, which is oh, going to okay. be yep. yeah, used for like spirits, and there's some other stuff too. I think some of that it can actually be turned back into animal feed, like maybe some byproduct or something. Um, 10% is exported, and then whatever is left is um, either eaten directly by humans or turned into other products like HFC or plastic even and textiles at some in some sense and other stuff like that so it's crazy it's 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 crazy right because they they ultimately just break it down to a like a molecular starch or sugar Mm -hmm. so like the plastic thing if you can figure out how to make a plastic from starches yeah that's corn that's how you get plastic made of corn Mm -hmm. yeah so we have we have 80 million acres dedicated to corn and you know five percent of it max is probably going to sustaining humans so going back to when i asked you what you think about agriculture it's pretty counterproductive to that idea um and it's it's supporting other things but um i think what i want to dig into next time with the ethanol conversation is 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 it worth it (laughs) um since that's where most of it's going and the whole animal feed thing is another discussion as well, but yeah. Um, the animal. Yeah, so go ahead, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just gonna say well, the animal feed thing is your point about them not getting that stuff naturally. Like, yeah, I've been spinning on that for a minute here, because uh, that's a big thing for I think both you and I. I always try to think like uh, the food that I'm eating or whatever. Like, would I would I be able to access this in prehistoric times so like a cheese it a cheese it isn't a cheese it is an entirely man-made piece of food like you could never even happen on the parts of a cheese it out in the wild right right so you know and same thing goes for the animals that you're consuming right right you don't want them to be eating cheese it's right um because then effectively you are right um Simplistically speaking, anyway. No, yeah, um, you got it. Yeah, so 
you might, or listeners might think that, um, and hopefully you don't, but like the whole grass-fed beef thing, that might sound gimmicky, but assuming you're getting a legitimate high-quality grass-fed beef, there is a significant difference in like the uh, nutritional profile of proper you know, meat that's been grazing out in the fields I've, or whatever versus, you know, a cow that's been eating corn its entire life. I have never had the pleasure of comparing both in one sitting or actually I don't even know really. If I have had grass-fed beef, I definitely was not acutely aware of it. But apparently almost everything about the two, like if you had a steak of corn-fed beef and a steak of mm-hmm. grass-fed, apparently almost all of it is different. Like, the way yeah. it, the way I mean, it cooks, yeah, they look different. The way it cooks is a little bit different. Certainly, mm-hmm. the taste is apparently very dramatically different. Yeah, um, I think a lot of the um, like the fat marbling in steak is a, you know, exaggerated by all the corn because mm. it's used to fatten them up. Yeah, yeah. So you might be getting a bigger steak, but it might not be offering you as much. Yeah, but I'm I'm keto and I want those fats. <laughs> Um, all right, and so the last thing I want to say here since we're we're into this, um, just some teasers on the whole ethanol thing. So, obviously, its most, or its biggest thing is that it's being used for fuel. Um, but what's really interesting is that this fuel that, you know, is being mixed with gasoline or being run strictly as ethanol is less dense than regular gasoline. Energy dense, sorry less energy dense so there's less available in you know the same volume of uh, ethanol versus gasoline um but counter to that it does have a higher octane rating so you can do certain things with it um so it's like possible to make more horsepower with it and stuff like that but it um, it combusts more efficiently i guess um maybe not more efficiently but you can combust at a higher yeah uh um compression ratio right. so you can run higher compression turbos and stuff like that but um is it worth but it? when you can yeah when you consider the whole production process the system from start to finish of growing the corn and processing and turning it into ethanol and burning it in your car and what's emitted and the fact that it's less energy dense so you actually need more of it you're filling up more often you're getting worse mileage is the net energy balance of this system better to have ethanol in there versus no ethanol and just everybody's running pure gasoline. Right. It's almost and, like, it's almost like the 10% number for those uh, future, whatever. So most gas in the U S today has 10% ethanol in it, right? 10%. Yeah. Yeah. That's common. It's almost like, I think what you're getting at the 10% is almost just like, why bother? You either, you either run ethanol, you either produce an engine specifically designed to run on ethanol alone, 100% ethanol or 90% ethanol, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's almost like they, it's actually, as you're making me think about this, it, the 10% of ethanol stinks of like government bureaucracy, just bureaucracy where they were like, we got to do something. Right, we have all this corn. What can we possibly yeah, exactly, do? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Cat litter and gasoline. Yep. So yeah, that's what I kind of want to dig into. Um, yeah, and 
I realize I didn't really answer my question about Christopher Columbus. <laughs> um, but we can we can keep him in mind, and, and we'll think about it. Well, the... Time. I mean, can postulate on it for a moment. Without getting... I mean, I don't know if it's still controversial. It's not controversial amongst our peers and whatnot that... We were, we were taught that Christopher Columbus was this cool dude and everything, but... Discovered America. Yeah, not only did he not do that, but <laughs> he's res- apparently responsible for literal genocide. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. But there's a whole thing, like... Like, uh, there's a raping whole... Raping and pillaging villages and... Yeah. Things like that, right? But he Wiping was also out. an Italian-American, or, well... He's an Italian, and I don't know. There's, there's. What's that have to do with it? Uh, it just the reason the holiday is still around is it's got some cultural significance tied to it, I suppose. Yeah. Um. But he's also like I don't know. It's funny when you put it all into perspective. Like he's the only explorer I think that has a holiday. Unless yeah, Leif he didn't Erickson. even do what he was trying to do. No, he went to the Caribbean, right? That's where he landed? It's a failure, yeah. Yeah, he went to the Caribbean, which is dope. And Good for him, but... Actually, no. Not only did he fail at... Yeah, he landed in the Caribbean, but he was looking for India. Literally <laughs> yeah. no part of his journey was supposed to include North America. Well, he, he was looking for a path to India. So, he didn't find one. Let's... <laughs> We yeah, we made know, it, we made it with the Panama Canal. The whole thing's pretty fucked. It is, but I think but that's anyway. a, I think that's a charged. What I was getting at was I think that's a charged conversation depending on who you're talking to. Like I think a lot yeah, of people our age, um, a lot of people our age would be like, yeah, he seems like an asshole. Screw screw that guy. Yeah, but I think other generations might not agree. I would like to talk to said other generations. I also don't think. Let's be real. What's really keeping the holiday around? It's the fact that it's a holiday. Nobody, nobody really cares that it's Christopher Columbus Day. It's just no, I don't. Not at all. It's just I don't have to go to work day. And actually, I don't even get it off now that I think about it. Well, that's just depressing now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I think that's enough on corn for now. So, uh, early humans or early apes, homonyms. They're up in the trees. One of them falls down one day. And his fall is broken by a, a field of corn. Although I'm not sure how, <laughs> what a tree's doing in the middle of a field of corn, but a field of maize. Well, this, is, this is natural. Ooh, are they 40 foot stalks or 10 foot stalks? Oh, it's the 40 footers. And nice. it's, it's a, a cushion. It's a South American rainforest. And he, the guy, uh, the homonym is, is in the, the very edgemost tree that's butting up against the cornfield, he falls out. He <laughs> lands in the corn, takes a bite out of this corn, and is like, oh, shit, this is great. And so from there, he decides to, or she decides to evolve and become <laughs> what we are today. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so what... Takes uh, the bite of corn. I have seen the lights. <laughs> I am now... Consciously deciding to evolve to the next level, and they walk off graciously into the field of corn. Funny enough, well, we'll do this one last, but that story, you replace corn with something else, and potentially what you just said is true. 
uh, but we'll get there in a second. So I was, Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah, I was just, uh, I don't know. Well, trying to think of what to talk about and started looking at evolution and theories on evolution and um, the theories on evolution was probably too much for a roughly hour, hour and a half long podcast. Um, but what I ended up coming across was different, uh, different theories that are out there to explain why current humans are the way they are in certain respects. So not necessarily, these aren't always trying to define, they're not necessarily looking for the missing link or, or something like that. It's more, these are, there are questions about humans and, and Homo erectus really that are significantly different from a lot of other apes. So the question is what, made them different why are they different yeah okay so i'm gonna start with a really fantastic one that fantastical in the in the traditional definition um then there's one in the middle that then i i picked three uh the second one i, I think is actually not only really interesting but highly likely it seems really really likely to me and then actually the last one is also very fantastic not necessarily as likely, but boy, it would be cool if it was. Anyway, okay. I'm so the, I'm the first one is called the aquatic ape theory. Oh, I've heard of it. I had but not. I know, I know nothing. I had not. I didn't even know. I had not. Um, okay. So what this theory is attempting to explain, or some of the things it sets out to explain, uh, hairlessness our upright posture, the massive increase in brain size roughly 200,000 years ago, mm -hmm. apparently uh, our olfactory system, our smell system, mm -hmm. is apparently less than other apes. Uh, oh. So the, the regression of the olfactory organ, if you look at your fingers, most of them, most of us, we have a very, very slight webbing, like you, really just the skin in between your fingers, but... yeah. Um, I guess that was more pronounced in other earlier versions. Well, what are the other options? I mean, you got to connect the two at some point. <laughs> right, right. That one, I, I wrote it down, but it that is a little fishy. No, I see what you mean. It, it doesn't need to be as exaggerated as it is. I'm looking at it now. The direction of the body hair that we have. So on that one, well, I actually, I'll come back to that one. Uh, and then also about that. tool use and breath control. So I'll, I'll come back to all these in a second. So oh the gen this is trying to answer all of this. Yeah, or at least yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. Um, so just up front, this has <laughs> all the sources I was reading. This is popular with lay lay people, you and me. This is not popular. <laughs> this is not popular with actual scientists. Um, <laughs> so and, it's fun to talk about, but it's not necessarily. Yeah, and uh, there's a really good argument against it that I'll try to articulate at the end. Uh, but as we go through these, try to poke holes in what's going on. Okay. At least that's what I was trying to think of what to do as we go through it. So the general theory is that a certain group of, I think I'm using this correctly, a certain group of homonyms, I think I've got that identification correctly. So basically there's a group of apes, let's just go with that, mm. up in the trees <laughs> And a certain group of them were being pushed out by another group. And so, like, food pressure. Basically, there wasn't enough food to go around. 
Okay. So forced by competition from life in the trees to hunt for food and all that, a certain group descended from the trees to the shoreline to look for food. Hmm. Okay. And over time, they basically developed all those things I mentioned, which aided them in their shoreline lifestyle. So waterside hypothesis of human evolution asserts that selection from wading, uh, evolution, evolutionary selection from wading, swimming, diving, and procure, and just the procurement of food from the shore and the, the immediate waters off the shore mm-hmm. significantly affected the development of that group. And that group eventually became us. So this theory basically says there was a group of apes that aren't around anymore who lived their lives entirely or mostly on the shore. So the hairlessness, as you might imagine, swimming through the water is much easier when you're hairless. Uh, You look at other mammals like whales and hippopotamuses and all that. That all seems to line up. Um, And in fact, apparently the elephant has an aquatic ancestor as well, and they're a relatively hairless mammal. Hmm. Okay. The yeah. upright, the upright posture and the bipedalism, you know, walking on two feet. Yeah. Uh, evolved first to aid in wading through the waves, basically. So, and there was actually a little, a couple studies I was, I was looking at where they, they basically proved that that is actually true, or what's true is that walking upright is better than walking on all fours when you're talking about wading through water. Okay. So that, so that, small that was going to be my, true. that was going to be my first hole. Okay. So go it for it. It's a lot to my, uh, my scientific breakdown in my own head, I guess. But I was going to say, you don't see any other animal native to water walking through it, but I guess, you know, they're all swimming. They're all horizontal for the most part. So um, I th- but yeah. none of them started with an ape body. Right. So, right. So I think walking I think, upright was just the best case scenario. And I think what's going on there is we can't breathe underwater. So we're, we're up top looking down into the water. If you're yeah. on all fours, your face is way closer to the water. And that kind of fucks with your, you kind of need to stand back from the water a little bit to see what's going on. You can't, yeah. your face can't be, couple inches from to, the water. You need to look into the water. You can't look, you know, your angle relative to right. the surface of the water needs to be rather high. Right. Or else you're just the studies also seem to suggest that the, just the stability of contrary to what you might immediately think, basically the, by walking upright, you have less surface area in contact with the water. So you're less, yeah. you're less impacted by the waves basically. Huh. Okay. So that one, that one. Okay. The hair, I, I, all of these, they're, they're not, they're not totally crazy, but, um, the argument later on makes, yeah. Uh, so this is a, a thing that apparently 200,000 years ago, this spans across all the theories. Apparently 200,000 years ago, there's a roughly doubling of the size of the human brain. Yeah. Like really quickly, right? Like really, really fast, like unexplainably fast. Like it doesn't. It doesn't fit just like a normal model no. of <laughs> so, progression. Uh, one of the possible explanations to that is uh, iodine and the fish oils that you would get from living a shore lifestyle. 
it has mm-hmm. been sh- it has been shown that uh, the fats coming out of fish and and like animals uh, are very advantageous to brain growth. So they went from eating zero. They went from eating fruits zero of this and, to... fruits and nuts to getting tons yeah. and tons and tons of fish. Yeah. Or huh. shellfish or whatever. Yeah. Birds. Um, one of the arguments that is for uh, that a an aquatic ape proponent would use is uh, currently if you live uh, inland and you don't have access to fish, uh, you get your iodine from salt. Basically, yeah, you have to supplement your iodine because our brains demand those nutrients. And our right, large brains true. require those large nutrients. So an aquatic mm-hmm. ape proponent would say, ah. Inland people can't support their brains. They have to get their, they have to subsidize their their nutrient intake. However, coastal people don't have to do any such subsidizing. What's our what's our evolutionary time span on these shore people? Well, it's going to be around two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand years ago. But they evolved over how long? Because oh, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Time time frames are hard to nail down because my gut reaction to the 200,000 years ago was like that's not very far away. No. No, it's not. It's not. Um seems which actually is way too low. It seems way too close, right? But I think yeah. that's one of the mysteries of it is that the brain doubled from an evolutionary perspective amazingly quickly and relatively like yesterday basically. Are there more theories on why? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yep. The 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 last theory we'll cover uh, addresses that in a really awesome way. Mushrooms. Yeah, you've heard of it, but that's okay. Yeah, it's fascinating to think about. Um, uh, so let's see the web fingers, the regression of the olfactory organ. I couldn't find much on that one. It was just a line item in one of the articles. I don't know. Um, hmm. Tool use. So we had to crack open the shellfish, so rocks. Um, and then breath but, control. Oh, go ahead. Wait, wait, wait. No, but I didn't need to use tools if I was a tree Yeah, that's yeah, person. exactly, exactly. I think you did. The tools might so, just be different. Yeah. I think, I, think, uh, I think each theory, I think what they're doing here is each theory that attempts to explain these things you yeah. gotta. You have to address tools because we know they happened. Mm-hmm. So this is the aquatic. Right. So you, gotta, ape. you gotta fit it in somewhere. Right. Uh, this okay. last one again, I think is is pretty. Uh, it's decently convincing, I, I, or at least makes some sense, I guess. So uh, in order to speak, you need to have really good breath control. You need to be able to control your diaphragm. That is apparently not something that's really prevalent in most apes. Right. And you could postulate that we would have gained that control from having to dive and go underwater. So the need to control our breath to go hunting eventually led to our ability to speak. So how how do the supporters of this theory, you know, practically speaking, how do they think that we're hunting these things? Because I can't go in and like swim after a freaking <laughs> dolphin and just grab it. Uh, that's, that's not going to work. So That's a great question. I do not have an answer to that. Like, 
if if I'm truly using some tools, you know, how much diving am I really doing? How much swimming am I doing? I mean, I'm not saying it's not a lot, but I think you're diving what, what mostly look for like? like clams and stuff. Yeah, stuff that's not going to run away from you. Mm-hmm. That's my guess, at least. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, but like, how am I catching fish as a Oh, sure person. Actually, that's true. I talked about fish a bunch of times, and you're probably not catching fish, actually. Or whatever fish you are getting, its habitat I mean, happens to put it on the shore every now and then. I don't know. Am I spear fishing, like from no, the shore? I don't but... think so. I don't think so. Not With early. Not, not at first, at least. Yeah. Yeah, okay. definitely, definitely not spear fishing at first. I mean, so that, not with anything other than a sharp stick is what right, I mean. Right, right. Um, so that's, that's, I mean, that's in a nutshell, that's the aquatic ape theory. But I just thought that one was crazy because I never even, never even heard yeah, of it. Yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting. So the main, one of the main arguments against it is that as of right now, there's nothing in any of the fossil records to suggest that. So basically, if we were to find the apes that would support this theory, they mm. would be so different from all other things that it would it would it would be like looking at a period period. You know how the periodic table, the guy that invented it, I apologize, I can't remember who it was. He was able to predict elements that we didn't know about, right? right. Because he knew the pattern. It would be like. Mm-hmm. Finding these apes, apparently, would be like finding a new element on the periodic table that was just like way out in left field that did not fit in at all. Yeah, okay. When you compare it to all the other fossil evidence that we have. Which, while odds are slim, it's we do possible. find shit all the time. Right? Yeah, it is not possible. We yeah. do find stuff. So it is it is possible, but... And I'm sure there are much more nuanced uh, arguments to be had, but we got to move yeah. on. Right, okay. <laughs> Uh, Moving on, number two. Oh, here, here's how, okay, a quote here. There may be gaps in the fossil record, but it is unlikely that those gaps will be filled by new primates and entirely that are entirely different from any known form in their current uh, ecology. So basically, mm. you would have to find an ape that fits none of the right, right, simil- okay. similar things at, at the time. Um, so this next one... Uh, Humans are incredibly adept at long distance running. Like the we're one of the only animals that can even do it. Humans can run hundreds, well, tens and in extreme cases hundreds of miles with mm-hmm. relatively little sustenance. Most that is bizarre. Most animals cannot do this. They mm-hmm. can walk that far, but we can run at pace for 60 miles. You know, if you're, if you're fit and, and have some cardio, which a, an ancient, hum- say, if, you, if you train for it. Yeah. Well, but an ancient human who's looking for food every day and, and, and yeah, you know, right. they're, they're going to be able to run 40 miles real relatively without a problem. Yeah. So there's all kinds of things. Um, that our bodies sort of give away that we are able to do this. Um, so our need or our ability to endurance run, I, 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 it's not really explaining it, but 
it's just an interesting thing, and, and it's it's attempting to explain um, again partially the explosion in brain uh, size, but also just mm-hmm. how we came to be. So we basically figured out that we can just. So what'll happen in this type of hunting is you will uh, spook an animal or herd, and you'll pick mm-hmm. one. And the, right. the hunters will just literally run after that one animal for as long as it takes till the animal dies of exhaustion, basically, which can take a long time. Uh, and it's very energy uh, intense, you know, it takes a lot of energy. But I was going to say, the longer you chase that animal, the less worth it it becomes because of how much energy you have to use. But it's also very safe. It's a very mm-hmm. safe form of hunting. Relatively speaking, you're not okay. uh, you're not you're not trying to hunt an elephant. You know, you're not running down. An, well, and if you were trying to hunt an elephant, you're not doing it with spears. You're just chasing it from a distance until it falls over. So it'll literally just keep running. So yeah, the way the way it works is like you'll let's take uh, let's use a, an antelope in the savanna. You okay. spook this thing, and you chase it. It might get far enough away from you that it thinks you're not following it anymore, but they were adept at following it and tracking it. So a few minutes later, you show back up. The chase is back on. The, yeah. an, the animal has not had time to recuperate. A, a few minutes, even 20 minutes, is not enough time to recuperate for these animals that are conditioned to sprint away from a leopard or a cheetah right. for, for minutes and then, and then have all day, all week to, to chill out. <laughs> So the, the humans that are chasing this thing, they spook it again, and they, mm-hmm. it takes off, and they just follow yeah. it from a distance, and eventually the animal dies from exhaustion. Yeah. Okay, I see. So some of the things that uh, this theory, so some of the, the ways that humans are that this uh, hunting method, basically, uh, seems to, to mesh with... Um, our shoulders and head are not nearly as connected to uh, to each other as other homonyms. So more connection, uh, so like literally like muscle fibers and tendons oh, and whatnot. Okay. We just don't have nearly as much tissue connecting our head to our shoulders and our back. Oh, I, so I don't like that. I don't like m- the sound of that. More connection is advantageous for climbing. It's okay. you, bas- you basically have more strength. Uh, but, uh, the is not advantageous for, uh, stabilizing the upper body while running. And I should note that a specific thing about all this, this endurance thing is we're talking about running here, uh, not walking. So there, there are like, there are evolutionary traits that we have that are specific to running at pace. Um, so yeah, there's that one, um, amongst a lot of the different apes, we have much longer legs relative to total body mass. Okay. Uh, which I won't go into the math of it, but basically that decreases energy costs for running. Oh, really? The mass of your center of gravity too. Like you can run faster if you're, yeah, I don't know. If you're more central. Yeah. Like. That's the next one. Oh, okay. Well, so, or partially at least. The mass of the, our upper body limbs is also 
So the, lo- the length of our legs is, is long, and then the mass of our upper body, specifically our, our arms, is greatly decreased compared to other apes. You think about a silverback gorilla, dude. His arms are jacked. Oh, yeah, dude. Ours, ours are not, unless you go to the gym a lot. Um, so as you might imagine, while you're running, it's much more advantageous to have lighter arms uh, just for a number of reasons, stabilization, uh, you're not trying to support that weight high, you know, the center of gravity is going to be more central, mm-hmm. all that. Excuse me. Okay. Um, apparently the surfaces of our joints are evol- evolved to absorb greater shock. Oh, interesting. Yep. Or at least they appear to be. Which is, uh, I mean, that's good for running, right? When you're slamming your foot on the ground over and over and over. Exactly. The impact force of the body can reach up to three to four times of, of our body weight while endurance running. So every time you slam wow. your foot down, you're yeah. three, you're adding three to four times your body weight onto your that one leg. Wow. That's a lot. So we, we yeah. have increased joint surfaces relative to body mass to spread that force out. Mm-hmm. Um, the, pl- uh, wow. p- the plantar arch in the human foot has an elastic spring function that generates for energy for running, but has no use in walking. Whoa. Yeah. So again, it's specific for running. Is it a hindrance to walking or is it just a gain? It's, it's uh, only, it appears to be only a gain for running. It's not necessarily a okay. hindrance for walking. Okay. Um, there were a bunch of reasons, but basically shorter toes. So our toes relative again to like our total foot length and all that are really short hmm. and um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically when you're running, yeah, your toes are very important to your balance, but while you're running, your entire body is almost balancing. Like, how do I describe this? It's not like you're standing on one foot and having giant toes, you know, having giant toes while you're trying to balance on one foot, would be really nice, right? Because now all of a sudden yeah. you've got more surface area. Mm-hmm. Now, if you took that giant foot with those really long toes and tried to run really fast, you might imagine it's going to get a little weird. Yeah, it's cumbersome, and you just don't need that stability. You've got momentum that's keeping you going. Like that's what like I wanted. Bike, Thank you. A bike keeping you know itself up as you're riding it. It doesn't just fall over. That's what I was looking for. The momentum. The momentum of running aids in the balance. Right. Um, and so the last thing uh, that I have, at least for this, um, is our form of thermoregulation. So the way that we sweat. Mm-hmm. Um, so the majority of mammals, I'm, I'm quoting here, uh, the majority of mammals, including humans, rely on evaporating cooling, rely on evaporative cooling to maintain body temperature. But most medium to large mammals rely on panting. So dogs. <laughs> So, but we obviously rely on sweating. Yeah. So there are advantages to panting. Uh, Cooler skin, much less salt Mm -hmm. loss, and heat loss is is better too. And and you have um, you're not susceptible to like wind. But on the other hand, yeah, okay, right. But on the other hand, sweating is advantageous in that evaporation occurs over a much larger surface area. Mm-hmm. and is independent of respiration. So panting, you can't really breathe too well while you're panting. Yeah, but right, right. That's can... where my head went. Um, so what makes sweating unique, uh, we are one of the few animals that can 
actually we actually dissipate more heat than we produce when at pace. So a dog, a cheetah, whatever, they can run and that's all fine. But their one of their limiting factors is that they have to stop to cool down because their bodies are generating more heat than their panting can get rid of. Oh. Our our bodies cannot generate enough heat to uh, hurt us, I guess. We sweat. We can sweat faster than we can produce energy. Or, I'm sorry, than we produce heat. Really? I've that's the, heard, That's interesting. That's the claim, at least. So what that means, basically, is that that's part of what allows us to run almost indefinitely, or in a, at least in a, I guess, a hunting sense, at least, indefinitely, because we're not at risk of overheating. Right, because you just... We just keep going. You just start consuming. As long you as know, you go. You, you use your food first, you, then you probably use, you know, any residual nutrients, and then you start burning fat, and then you start burning muscle, and you just start using all these things to just keep going faster, right. or for longer, I'm sure, right? Right. So I thought that one was really cool, and seems really, cool. really likely, like, this one this one was a little weak on the sort of trying to explain stuff front. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. But I thought it was really cool and makes a lot of sense because when you think about like a, a human in the savannas up against an elephant, what are you gonna do? You're not gonna defeat an elephant. Let's right. let's assume you don't have a spear. So we had to come up with a way Plus, we got to compete with all the leopards and cheetahs and whatever else. So we came up with this way of hunting that, like, almost nobody else can do. So, like, that moment where, you know, the humans that became us in this example split off from the other apes, like, it just makes me think, why didn't those apes also... Did, why did they stop and this other group B continued further to evolve? Like, right. what happened there? Uh, there's obviously still apes in the, yeah, you know, maybe yeah. they're, they're a little smarter than they used to be. I don't know. <laughs> um, there's Well, there's a theory that they're going through their own Stone Age, right? Right, so, yes, yes. Um, well, that's a good topic. Yeah. Um, but, you know, wh- why did this one group break free? Yeah, I I think I, I obviously I don't know the answer. Um, I think uh, if I would guess though, it's it's that you have a certain population at the time, mm-hmm. and there's enough food pressure that up one population has to split off and go Just one way. Has to figure out another way. And so they'd go, and that turns out to be a much better way. But the people, right. or the the group, the population that stayed behind in the trees or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden, sustained. The, right, right. All of a sudden, the food pressure's gone, mm-hmm. and they're like, "All right, we're cool, we're happy." So, does that mean? Because you could think, um, like, all right, let's say that one of these two theories is true. Why didn't um, those people then start experiencing pressure and need to break off another time and create a completely? third set like why why have we gotten to the point now where there's eight billion people and we're all the same species species like 
do we just get to this weird point where, okay, we've figured out enough where we can just keep what we have going, regardless of natural food pressures, we can just keep this up and, you know, nobody's forced to evolve into a different strain now? I think the answer is that it did happen. Um, so we are homo sapiens, right? Mm-hmm. There are other groups underneath the homo uh, designation. Yeah. And we appear to have come out victorious uh, amongst that's all. That's true. There are, yeah. Right? True. So you got homo erectus. You got, uh, that's the only one I know. There's a lot of different <laughs> ancient humans, right? <laughs> Um, but you've got like, uh, I think the name of the fossil was Lucy. She was this very small, I forget exactly what subtype she was, but she was a, of the homo I'm sure it's not a family, but I forget what the proper designation for that level is. But, um, you know, she was only like four feet tall, but Hmm. was definitely our ancestor. Some sort of ancestral At at some point. Right, right. Yeah. And new evidence, I don't have sources for this or whatever, but as we go here and we find stuff, it seems that we coexisted with a lot of different homo types. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. At one time. So mm-hmm. it seems like we just came out victorious. Probably probably, be, probably because of the brain thing, the, the increase in brain size. Right, we got lucky. So what's the last one? So the last one, uh, I'm sure you've guessed, uh, and anybody who's listened to Joe Rogan in the past uh, probably has heard of the stoned ape theory. Mm-hmm. And this is a theory primarily, I think, uh, well, what, it, what it's primarily set out to do was sort of explain how we got to where we are and specifically the, the increase in brain size. Okay. So this guy, Terrence McKenna, was sort of the, is credited at least with uh, sort of first proposing it in the ni- early nineties. Okay. Um, kind of never, I don't, th- I don't think it was ever like totally like, it's hard to quantify these things, but I don't think it was ever totally like, Oh, that's absolutely crazy. Like, I think it's actually, I don't know this for sure, but if I had to guess, it's almost like this one's more believable than the aquatic ape theory. Mm. Okay. Um, but, and so recently, a couple, as, as little as two years ago, um, a couple of sources I was reading by what I, I think are reputable scientists, at least, they're starting to really throw some weight at this, hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah. So what he says is that, so um, again, we're, we're up in the trees and swinging around swinging around and <laughs> for one reason or another the most common thought is just population increase and therefore reduction in in food uh somebody goes down and and starts making it into uh starts going looking for food on the floor yeah and if you're in the rainforests butting up against grasslands uh eventually you're going to come across poop and so we've observed in observed in current uh, apes, uh, they will investigate poop for like beetles and stuff. Yeah. Okay. And they'll lift up cow pies to to look nice. for stuff underneath them. So that uh, beha- one of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> so that behavior of like investigating poop appears to be there already. Yeah. And so to to really 
shortcut it, it uh, psilocybin is the is the active ingredient in psychedelic mushrooms that gives them their their psychedelic qualities, mm-hmm. and it has some really crazy effects. So in low doses, psilocybin found in mushrooms, which is usually or often found in poop. So basically the monkeys... It like, it like grows underneath cow poop, right? Yep, yep. This is neutrally dense. Yep. And and apparently, if you can get past the poop part, uh, has quite nice flavor. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the mushroom or the poop? The mushroom. Okay. Uh, so... Psilocybin in low doses, very like like what you would get from eating a mushroom or two, mm-hmm. increases visual acuity. So basically, chemical binoculars. Oh, this allows you to. Now this one, I I don't. I'm, I, we have to take their word for it on this one because I. I don't know what increased visual acuity like actually feels like or like what that practically means yeah what is that practice basically like they said that like you can see further you can be more aware of predators really that kind of thing i I don't i I don't know about that one but the the thought though is basically as over time if your vision is increasing and you have better vision than those not eating mushrooms Mm -hmm. uh you're gonna you're gonna do better than them if you have better vision, you're more aware of predators, you're able to find food easier, that sort of thing. I guess actually the question is, how bad was Ape's vision to begin with? True, yeah. That would be good to know. So if you go up in in dosage, um, it mm-hmm. increases uh, sexual activity. So mm-hmm. now, you, now you're outbreeding all the people not eating mushrooms. So not only are you finding more food, but you're outbreeding all those that don't eat mushrooms. Ooh, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and then the next one, uh, larger, even larger doses, can result in spontaneous glossolalia, G L O S S O L A L I A, glossolalia. Okay. This What's is that? the phen- this is a phenomenon, uh, which I guess like humans, like. In religious, like, have you ever heard of, uh, like, when religious people, uh, a certain type, um, speak in tongues? Do you know what that is? Um, like, they'll speak almost gibberish. Yeah, but I it's, guess so. I it mean, seems well, like I can't the, really say I've ever heard somebody do that. Not in like person, have an no. example. But basically, they're, they, they sound like they're speaking a language. Mm-hmm. But it seems like they're possessed in, in, by God in, in this religious sense. They would be possessed yeah. by God. And, and so they're speaking, like they're, they're enunciating things, but they're not speaking a language you understand. So basically, larger doses of these mushrooms result in spontaneous focalization, basically. So what McKenna sort of po- posed was that the internal syntax of communication between apes. So yeah, the, just the, the social cues and the, whatever communication existed already that wasn't verbal, these mushrooms aided in the expression of that syntax verbally. So he, he's putting forth that these mushrooms, once you got really high off of them, they're the reason they're, they're, 
that's what spawned our it gave us the raw material for language our the 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 ability to express that syntax that was already inside the apes you know they already understood that when one ape looks at another one in a particular way he's pissed off yeah right the the mushroom gave them the ability to start expressing that verbally right okay weird out of the mi- out of the animal mind and into the world of articulated speech and imagination. So his final bit, well, the the bit here is that um, the language is the most important part. That's what he marries up against the explosion in brain size. Is being so, able to communicate that way? Yep. Yep. Hmm. Really, that that alone has well i guess it makes sense i'm trying to think of like the how much that would contribute to the brain size increase alone but i mean he's suggesting most of it right but he's suggesting most of it going off of the fact that our ability to communicate is clearly far and away from yeah it is a significant difference isn't it right right i mean everything we do is based around communication right and our language abilities are unrivaled Hmm. um so another so so we need to get we need to get some apes to munch on some mushrooms and see (sighs) apparently what starts happening yeah is there any sort of you know proof or evidence or any any hard data on this well um there is, uh, I don't have exact sources, but there is evidence that psilocybin does physically change brain chemistry. Yeah. So there, there is evidence that the psilocy- right. the drug psilocybin really does. Don't call it that. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the chemical. wonder, the chemical psilocybin uh, does have a tangible physical impact on your brain. Yeah, right. That I've heard for sure. Um, and I think what will end up being true, should we ever figure this out, we probably won't, uh, is it's probably one factor among many. Yeah, I mean, when is anything ever that linear right. and simple? Not that that's simple in its own right, but... But my, my thing with this one, it, to me, to me, it is, it is almost inevitable that a monkey I'm sorry shouldn't use the term monkey that sounds derogatory I guess but that an ape would someday come down from the tree to happen upon a mushroom eat yeah, it why not and like the way it felt right I mean that, from to, to me that's what seems... I understand if I were to be an ape and eat a mushroom and I mean apparently it's pretty great right so why would I be like, no, fuck that, and not right. want to share it? Right. And... So to me, that the whole apes eating mushrooms thing and getting high off of them... I don't see why that couldn't happen. Exactly. And to me, yeah, it almost it seems would... like almost inevitable that it would happen. I, w- I would say that, you know, there's it's highly likely that, you know, that circumstance <laughs> happened, but, you know, the linking it back to our brain size increasing is where it gets 
yeah. difficult, right? Yeah. I would agree with you that it's inevitable that that happened at some point somewhere that the the ape flipped over the poop and ate the mushroom. That happened, but and we're, whether, we're whether it went any further than that or not. Yeah, and we're glossing over some of the things like so one one of the notes that I wrote down when I I listened to him Terrence talk about it I listened to his one of his talks on it um he goes into the much more intangible things that mushrooms do to you and he makes I mean man he makes really convincing arguments so one of the less tangible aspects of psilocybin is apparently it makes you very introspective so you think about yourself and how you impact the world a lot okay. so he he put forth that you have an ape who his consciousness is really really focused on prey and like the outside world yeah all of a sudden he's on mushrooms and that he's already got the basis for awareness he's he's got the brain power to be aware but it's always been directed at the outside world mm. all of a sudden now he's thinking about oh man himself That's... isn't right and then we we obviously cannot know this for sure but uh, humans appear to be one of the only groups that interact with the world with a sense of self-awareness right a fish doesn't really don't they say dolphins Dolphins appear to be another one, yep. And, I mean, elephants are usually, like, pretty ooh, pretty ooh. up there in the list, but I'm not sure that they even really are that self-aware. Uh, I think sure. I think actually elephants are, are incredible. I know, I, 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 maybe just in a different sense yeah. than we are, but, yeah. I'm glad you brought up the dolphin thing, because it just made me... Have you ever seen that video? What do, <laughs> uh, Which dolphin, one? Dolphins uh, do drugs. Yeah, with the pufferfish. With the pufferfish. Yeah, they pass around the pufferfish and it gets them high. Dude. Yeah, so that they're on their way. That's their cow pie. Maybe. That's amazing. See what I mean? This theory, it, to me, this theory, I, yeah. I'm not smart only, enough. I'm Go just ahead. curious if, like, you said that it causes us to be more introspective, right? That's, that's what, one that's of the things. That's what it does was... to our brain now. But yeah. yep. you can't make a black and white comparison to or a direct comparison rather you know to a modern human brain to our poop flipping uh <laughs> ape brain like there's no saying that the effect would be the same thing uh yeah yeah it's true there are plenty of I holes be, to be poked but, in yeah. in this theory but this one no to but me... i think it, it of the three you presented it's definitely the most plausible in my mind I also am biased because I want it to be true. Cause yeah. Like, why, how crazy? I mean, it just sounds crazy. It sounds so crazy. And I just, I don't know. I, I really enjoy the idea of, like, those two things coming together mm -hmm. to produce, you know, consciousness in a way. Yeah. It's pretty wild. If that's the case, then we should be freaking worshiping mushrooms, man. Well, that's funny. Okay, so I didn't plan on this, but it's funny that you bring that up because uh, <laughs> there's a lot of religious imagery that if you analyze it in the particular way, 
we may have worshipped mushrooms in the past. Yeah, I've I've heard that. <laughs> the the one thing I'll quote before we wrap up here is uh, certain images of Jesus Christ with the halo. Mm-hmm. The the old style of the halo was sort of this circle behind his head, and it was like right. a lar- it was a large circle, and if you do it right. <clears throat> It looks like the underside of a mushroom cap. Hmm. We're going off. We're going off. Yeah. And and I've looked at it. it. We're going off the deep end now. But oh uh, god, here's one that looks just like that. Yeah, but couldn't those just be like? It could be anything. You know how like when you draw a sun, and you make the rays of light come out. Yep. Because you're not very good at drawing. Because you're not. Yeah, I mean, that being said, the rest of Jesus in this picture is not that great looking, so. But no, your your point is correct. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at one right now. Oh, my goodness. That is definitely the underside of a mushroom. But, yeah, we're going off the deep end. Once you once you start delving into, like, religious imagery, you, to me, you, you cannot prove or deny anything. Right. So, yeah, the stoned ape theory, pretty wild. <laughs> On I that note. It. Uh, yeah. Anything else? Um, no, I think, um, no, I think we covered a lot of ground today. We did. We actually outdid. This is probably the longest one yet. Um, hit us up at wanderingberrycenter at gmail.com. We decided to keep going with that and we'll actually check the email account. Yeah. We caught up with all those emails (laughs) over the weekend, so... Thanks for those who wrote in. <laughs> uh, and yeah, any sponsors out there that we haven't insulted? <laughs> I was listening to a real quick digression. I was listening to another podcast not too long ago. I won't say who, but um, and he was doing an ad and he mm-hmm. shat on the company that he was doing the ad for. <laughs> And then next week, the week later, he goes, yeah, they're not a sponsor anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, makes sense. I thought that was pretty funny. So, (laughs) all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Yep. Check us out on iTunes, but still go to the website. Yeah, go to the website. (laughs) Peace.